When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Famed movie critic Roger Ebert said that this 80s flick was the best movie about love that he'd seen in a long time. His original review stated, maybe that's because it's not about love as a Hollywood concept, but about love as growth, as learning to accept other people for who and what they are. There's romance in this movie, but what makes the film so special is that the romance and everything else is presented within the context of its characters, finding out who they are, what they stand for, and what they will not stand for. So get ready to be swept off your feet and let love lift us up where we belong as Ron West and I discuss An Officer and a Gentleman from 1982 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Zach Mayo had no business defying the odds, let alone beating them. You ready to quit now, Mayo? Let's... You gotta program yourself. You'll make it. How did you slip into this program? You kick me out of here, then I ain't quit. You quit. But first, you have to get past me. Understand? Don't you understand? I love you. Richard Gere, Deborah Winger, an officer and a gentleman, rated off. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. because I saw your reaction I was like yeah what a way to uh, have a Valentine's Day episode with two guys talking about a romantic movie (laughs) that's all right we have love one another there you go we're gonna do it all right welcome in everybody so glad to have you on this episode of the 80s flick flashback podcast Uh, as I always say we've got a good one for you this time and uh, this we're being truthful about this. this is a really good movie that uh ron and i both enjoy and uh as we'll get talking about it but of course i got my best friend mr ron west on the podcast welcome back my friend how you doing i am doing well tim always a pleasure to um be on the podcast with you right uh reminisce from our old podcasting days to, yeah. <laughs> to now and uh always good to see and chat with my best friend yeah from marvel movies to an officer and a gentleman we've come a long way my friend <laughs> <laughs> we have still dealing with the superheroes we are right. the, the superhero of richard gear there you go yeah he's got nowhere else to go he's got nowhere else to go <laughs> <laughs> oh that's such a great scene yeah all right well let's jump right in uh when did you see an officer and a gentleman for the very first time oh i saw an officer and a gentleman it was 1982 was the mm-hmm. year so i was 10 years old i saw it as 
as you know, most of my movie going experience <laughs> at a uh, uh, Bluefield, West Virginia movie theater. And I remember this because I was 10, which means my two older sisters were 15 and 16, and they were in love <laughs> with Richard Gere. And so I got dragged to see this love movie that uh, I had <laughs> no interest in, but really liked the movie, the, the oh, yeah. military training and yeah. sequences and everything was really good. I remember even liking it then. And then renting it, you know, when when the VCR craze and everything, you know, would come, mm. uh, renting it, watching it, and have watched it uh, many times uh, since then. Although I will be honest, I think the every time I've seen it since then, I completely forgot about the opening with him right. and the dad, and right. the, which explains so much about who he is. Mm. That that two minute opening, mm-hmm. I. I don't remember seeing it. I'm sure I did. <laughs> Watching it again, I was just like, oh. Right, right. So creepy. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of an it is kind of an interesting way to start the movie. Uh I guess we're jumping right in already, but it's not what I expected. And I'll say, like, I, I I thought that I had not seen this movie, but as I was watching it, I have seen it. I did not see it when I was a kid. I think my parents saw it. And did not want me to see it for, you know, obvious reasons as a young kid. Um, my dad being, my dad being in the military, I think they liked it, but you know, the subject matter was definitely more than, you know, I needed to see it at my age because I'm a few years younger than you. So I was definitely younger, uh, than 10 when this came out. But I think I saw it in college. Thanks to Pretty Woman, he was a sex symbol and leading man again in the nineties. So I was becoming a fan of his movies in the nineties. I was like, I need to go back and watch some of his earlier movies. And I, I remember an officer and a gentleman. We everybody's seen the ending. It's you know been parodied many times. So I I remember watching it in college, and I think I liked it, but it wasn't what I expected. And I think because I expected it to be this more like romance type, you know, much more of a romantic movie, not so much about the drama and the and the military. You know, him trying to become a soldier or become an officer. So I think I liked it, but it just didn't, it didn't sit with me the same way that I think of watching it now did being older and kind of under, you know, there's a lot of layers, a lot of stories and a lot of layers to the movie yes. that you kind of, kind of have to be mature enough to really understand. So how long it had been since you watched it before watching it for the podcast? Watching it without that opening, maybe when mm-hmm. I, they show it on TV, maybe they don't show that, that, that opening. Maybe they, that's. Yeah. They, they probably edit out a good bit of the begin the very beginning with his dad's right. in the bed with, <laughs> with his well, girlfriend. I, I mean, clearly he was having a, no other way to say, but an orgy with his dad and two women. Right. I mean, that's the, that's saying a lot about, you know, their relationship and mm-hmm. how things are going on. That's it's very awkward. So yeah, that wouldn't be on uh, ABC movie night. <laughs> uh, they would right. have that, that opening. So other than that scene, it's probably been about three years since I, since I okay. last saw uh, uh, the movie. It's anytime it's, it's one of those movies really that just sucks me in anytime that it's on. It's mm-hmm. Lewis Gossett Jr. performance, yeah. Richard yeah. Gere's p- performance. Uh, it just pulls you in. And uh, uh, even every time I watch that movie, I'm rooting for him so much in the obstacle <laughs> course. Seeing yeah. it, it's like, go, yeah. set the record. Come on. Right, come right, on, right. You know, and, and even though I know, you know how that's going to play out, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. I just I just get pulled in. I, I just wonderful movie. What about you? You said, I know you said you'd seen it in college. Had you seen it more recently? No, and it's one not one that I think really comes on TV that much anymore. Uh, I was trying to think of like, have I seen it on even like one of the like cable channels? Like you know, it's funny because you I guess eighty two. I mean it's forty you know over forty years old now, so it might be a little harder to find. Like they're probably gonna play more of his nineties. I've seen I've seen Pretty Woman, Runaway Bride, you know, some of the nineties movies that he was a part of a little bit more frequently than than this one for sure. Um yeah. I know Pretty Woman is on TV somewhere right now. We can turn TV on <laughs> right now. Pretty Woman is on. It's always right. on. Yeah. Freeform or VH one or one of those channels it's probably playing. So looking at it it didn't feel dated. Like even watching it now, there's only a few scenes where it feels like an eighties movie because, you know, especially the training and stuff like a lot of that stuff probably hasn't changed that much. A little bit of the technology I'm sure, but um, it really holds up really well as far as like subject matter. I think maybe a few yeah, things, absolutely. maybe a few things, the uh, gunnery sergeant can't certain terms. He probably can't say anymore that he said to them. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I was. There's probably a little bit more of a political correctness uh, right. there. 
uh, to it. And I'm not sure what the, uh, if it's as simple for someone to get into that program and mm-hmm. then, um, uh, cause basically he would, he was just joining for the six years to become, trying to become a pilot and then, right. and then go fly commercial planes and make a, a lot of money. I, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not sure it's still set up that way, but, um, the, the training sequences though, the, the, um, and of course we talked about the obstacle course, which is more physical mm-hmm. fitness, but, but the, uh, flipping upside down in the, in the water and having to, yeah, to free yeah. yourself and not panic mm-hmm. and hold your air. Uh, you know, the, I remember as a kid watching that and just being amazed that they were, that that was real, that that mm-hmm. was something that was, I mean, that was, you know, they were at the training facility. That, that right, was how right. they, they, they do those things. And yeah. um, that one in the oxygen was, chamber where they take oh, the oxygen out, they have to do simple tasks and, and stay focused. Like that was pretty intense too. Yeah. Well, and that's where uh, the one guy ends up out of the program, but mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, uh, yeah, that was also interesting. I'm not sure that one as a kid hit me as much as an adult. That one hits me a little bit more yeah. because you're just like, oh, well, whatever, you can't breathe, you can't right. slap your hands together. Who, can? you know, you you don't realize how difficult it is to stop breathing, right? And still do those things, but yeah, the uh, the, the training sequences, um, and I would imagine the, I mean, that's the budget. I know we're not at the point we're talking about the budget, but super mm-hmm. low budget, but yeah, the budget was getting access to those. Mm-hmm. facilities and and paying yeah. for them because there's not much else Mm-mm. that you spend their money for in, in in this movie yeah there's a like there was a lot about filming locations so it filmed in a lot of different places it wasn't just one place and we'll kind of get in i'm about to get into that pre-production and shooting but the oxygen chamber thing was actually built for the movie like that was not oh, okay. something that they had they were able to use so they built it and it's actually, I think they said it's still built like wherever they built it. It's still there today and it's used for the things now, but the, uh, but yeah, I think like the, um, the pool was actually at a, like a school, like that wasn't, so they were not on a Naval base, but we'll, we'll, we'll jump oh, into okay. that here in a second. So, so let's jump into story origin and pre-production, but first let's talk about what does an officer or gentleman actually mean? The title hmm. of the film actually derives from the United Kingdom's Royal Navy as recorded in an 1813 court-martial against Colonel Sir J. Emer, quote, for behaving in a scandalous, infamous manner, such as unbecoming the character of an officer and a gentleman, end quote. Over time, the phrase has been more commonly shortened to conduct unbecoming. Generally speaking, this means offenses that do not match the ideals the Navy has for its officers, even if these would not typically be prosecuted by the civilian authorities. In the film, Mayo's unbecoming conduct is his continued continued fixation with his civilian relationship at the expense of his naval training. So, adds a new little element to that that title. Uh, Absolutely, you know, it's very romanticized, you know, as the as the poster and all that kind of stuff. An officer and a gentleman, but to know it came from an actual court martial is uh, pretty interesting. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So the script actually languished around Hollywood for about eight years with no studio willing to finance it. Finally, at Paramount Pictures, former executive and then Disney CEO Michael Eisner was very much against the film, but relented after much persuasion by producer Don Simpson. The final budget was only a mere $6 million, part of it due to the Navy's refusal to support the production and the skepticism of the studio on whether it would be a commercial success. So it was actually shot in the Olympic, I'm sorry, on the Olympic Peninsula of Washington at Port Townsend at Fort Warden, the U.S. Navy did not permit filming at NAS Pensacola in the Florida Panhandle, the site of the actual aviation officer candidate school. Deactivated U.S. Army Base Fort Warden stood in for the location of the school, an actual naval air station in the Puget Sound area, NAS Whidbey Island. So, um, so yeah, so they still filmed in like Washington around Seattle but it was an army base, not a Navy base. Interesting. I wonder why Pensacola would not allow, uh, because they reference in this after passing, they're going to Pensacola. Pensacola, Yeah. So the Navy actually refused to cooperate on the movie saying that it portrayed their training school life in a negative and unrealistic way. Brent kindly wrote in this update, I attended AOCS in Pensacola in 1975. And true enough, there are some liberties with accuracy in the film. 
The DOR part is generally true. No one DORs late in the program prior to being commissioned. However, there were those seeking to ensign bars. I'm sorry, seeking the ensign bars with no interest in flying. They quit aviation immediately after becoming an officer. They headed to the quote unquote black shoe fleet instead. So, so they would complete the program, but they wouldn't go on to naval to, to the actual uh, naval academy to be a, to be a full on pilot. They would just get that, I guess, that title of officer, and then go do something else. So it's interesting. You know, it kind of goes back to when we talked about Top Gun, how the Navy wasn't originally didn't really want, you know, to be referenced in Top Gun either. But it was only because one person that got a hold of the script saw it as a good recruiting tool and and persuaded them to do it, do so. But and there's a lot a, a lot of the different research I saw, they were really kind of tying this movie and Top Gun together, how Top Gun probably would not have been made if this had not been a success because there were certain parallels in the, you know, military and love story kind of blending those two things together. And and imagine that, because there could not have been a better recruiting tool yeah. for that <laughs> than Top Gun. And like you said, Top Gun gets made because of this. I mean, right. how many young men wanted to be naval aviators because mm-hmm. of Top Gun? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's funny because I never like watching it again Thinking of him becoming an officer, I knew it was the Navy, but I I didn't remember it being anything about naval aviation because you don't ever see any jets. There's no flying. Nobody's flying anything in this movie. Such different than Top Gun. Top Gun gets that appeal because you see them in the fighter jets. You see them, you know, doing the uh, actual flying and learning that where in this it's all, you know, it's more like the, like the basic training that they're doing before they even get to that that aspect of of the school. So. Right. Well, you also see the difference in budgets there. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah, very true. Yeah, the Navy's not going to let you get on their base. They're definitely not going to let you use any of their, any of their uh, planes. Absolutely. And now, these messages. Hello, 80s Flick lovers. I just want to take a minute and say thanks again for listening to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Sadly, we don't have any shout-outs to new buymeacoffee.com members this week, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to support the podcast on a monthly basis through buymeacoffee.com. We have three tiers of support to choose from. You can be a cult classic member, which is only $5 a month, a Be Kind Please Rewind member, which is $10 a month, or you can go big by choosing to be a box office blockbuster member for $15 a month and receive an official 80s Flick Flashback t-shirt. All members on any tier will receive a free logo sticker, so don't miss out. You can also leave a one-time donation for $5 or more if you choose. Just go to our website, 80sflickflashback.com, or the link in the show notes for more details and to start your subscription membership today. We will always offer free episodes and we'll never put any of our past seasons or episodes behind a paywall. But it does cost money to keep the podcast running. Since the creation of the podcast, I've personally paid monthly for the website, the Zoom account, various movie rentals and streaming subscriptions, marketing tools, and other miscellaneous expenses that pop up from time to time. If you love the show, then please consider being one of our subscription members through Buy Me a Coffee. Every little bit helps and will be greatly appreciated. You can also support the show by buying an official logo t-shirt, sweatshirt, or sticker from our online store. There are multiple styles and colors to choose from, so go check out the selection on our website as well as the link in the show notes. If you've been listening for a while, you know I've been moving away from buying digital movies and going back to buying Blu-rays and DVDs of my favorite movies. If you'd like to help, you can find my Amazon wish list at the link in our show notes. There are movies there priced from $5 to $40, so feel free to purchase one or more. (laughs) I'll even give you a special thank you on TikTok and Instagram when the movies arrive. Hey, if you love 80s pop music and movie soundtracks as much as I do, you can also find the 80s flick flashback movie songs mix playlist on Apple Music. It's full of hit songs like Eye of the Tiger, Flashdance, What a Feeling, and Danger Zone, as well as deeper cuts from the 80s flicks like Lost in the Shadows from The Lost Boys, Only the Young from Vision Quest, and Cool Rider from Grease 2. This would have been my ultimate movie soundtrack mixtape growing up if I could have found a cassette to hold eight hours worth of songs. So it's perfect for listening to on a fun road trip or if you're just stuck in a cubicle at work. 
Thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate every one of you, and I'm amazed each week to watch the number of new listeners grow. It's because of you and your support that the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is still going strong. Let's keep the fun going. Now, let's get back to today's show. All right, well, let's talk about casting. So, of course, Richard Gere as aviation officer candidate, Zach Mayo, Mayonnaise. <laughs> you, you knew that was going to be his nickname as soon as they said his last oh, name. Oh, absolutely. As soon as he said Mayo. <laughs> I mean, what else could it be? Come on, Miracle Whip. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry. He began in films in the 1970s, playing a supporting role on Looking for Mr. Goodbar in 1977. And a starring role in Days of Heaven in 78, he came to prominence with his role in the film American Gigolo in 1980, which established him as a leading man and a sex symbol. He has starred in many films, including The Cotton Club in 84, Pretty Woman in 1990, Summers Bee in 93, Primal Fear in 96, and of course, Runaway Bride in 1999, and many more that we didn't list. Amazingly enough, originally country music singer and occasional actor John Denver was actually signed on to play Zach Mayo. I cannot see that for anything. That would have been this. We would not even remember this movie <laughs> had that. I mean, what did John Denver do? Was it Oh God? Oh God. Yeah. Oh God, you devil. Take, yeah. Take take him from that performance and put him an officer <laughs> and a gentleman. Oh, yeah. that, just, that was, would have been such a bad uh, decision. I know the, you're and you're probably going to get to a John Travolta. Yeah, uh, yeah. Turn, turn the role down as well. But yeah. John Denver would have just been a disaster. <laughs> I just cannot. I just can't picture that. It was more of a comedic actor, really more. So, right. I just don't see him as that strong, dramatic character in this. No. And but, especially playing the, the darkness mm-hmm. that, that Mayo plays. I mean, he's I mean, that character. Like I said, the the I mean, we see his mother die when he's mm-hmm. a little kid. He goes to stay with the father who doesn't know how to parent and brings him up and raises him. You know, drinking, smoking, mm-hmm. sex, whatever. With women. Yeah. <laughs> that that's that's what you do as as a man, right? And he doesn't know how to love anybody else. He doesn't know how to think about anybody other than mm-hmm. stuff, Which is you know, the movie is you know him turning and learning and 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 to to become better. And he he says you know in the, the big scene with Louis Gossett Jr. Of course, I've I've changed and. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 all of that and, and realizing that he doesn't have any place else to go, the famous the famous quote that you said earlier. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a lot to carry. Mm-hmm. He, it's that darkness, that emotionless at the beginning and nothing matters. I don't care. Right. And then you see little kinks in the heart mm-hmm. and he starts to feel something a little bit for the woman and then the complete meltdown and then also the anger and fear when he later fights. Um, yeah, gunner uh, sergeant. Gunnery sergeant, um, and then of course sweeping her off her off her off her feet, mm. uh, Deborah Winger at the end. I mean that's a lot. That's a lot of emotions going up and down, and there is no way Take Me Home Country Roads is pulling <laughs> that off. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Look, he, he's look. He, he's not bad, but he's acting opposite like Kermit the Frog, <laughs> right? And the Muppets but, Christmas, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, there's no way that would would have worked. Yeah, I will say this: if he was able to pull it off, give him all the awards because that oh. would have been the performance of a of a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, yeah, give him best actor, best supporting actor, best actress, <laughs> best, best score. Give it all to John Denver. Yeah, right, uh, right. Uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, there were other people that are, were in the casting process as well: Jeff Bridges, Harry Hamlin, Christopher Reeve, John Travolta. Of course, Gear eventually beat all the other actors for the part. Travolta had turned down the role as he did with American Gigolo, which also was a Richard Gear uh, box office hit. But yeah. Oh, so Gear got both of those roles when Travolta turned yep. down. Interesting. Yep. Yep. So there were a few that they said it was because of their agents, like their agents didn't want them to take the movie, which once again shows that they didn't have a whole lot of faith in it being successful, which I think is kind of disappointing, but. But it floated around. Well, it wasn't, you know. It, that's what I was going to say. You said you said it floated around for eight years, so yeah. um, there probably wasn't a lot of belief in it. Yeah, I want to apologize right now because I wanted to talk about the director Taylor Hackford, and I forgot to even put him in my notes. He's such a good. He was. He's a great director, and I wanted to mention some of his other other movies because this was not his first movie either. Ray, he did Ray. Yeah, he did Ray. That's that was the movie that I remembered him being part of. So, 
So this was his first major movie that he did. He's married to Helen Mirren. Yep. Has been for a long time, I think. He, oh, he did White Knights. Mm-hmm. All right, well, moving on to Deborah Winger as Paula. Winger's first acting role was as Debbie in the 1976 exploitation film Slumber Party 57. Her next role was as Diana Prince's younger sister, Drusilla Wonder Girl, in three episodes of ABC's TV series Wonder Woman, which I remember when we went back and started watching that on uh, HBO Max when it first came out, seeing her in those first episodes, like, oh, my gosh, that's Deborah Winger. Um, The producers wanted to appear in more wanted her to appear more often on Wonder Woman, but she refused, fearing that the role would hurt her fledgling career. This was followed by a guest role in season four of the TV drama Police Woman in 78. Her first major role was in Thank God It's Friday, followed by Urban Cowboy in 1980 with John Travolta, which she received a BAFTA nomination and a pair of Golden Globe nominations. In 82, she co-starred with Nick Nolte in Canary Row and with Richard Gere in An Officer and a Gentleman, for which she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. She was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actress twice more for Terms of Endearment 83, which was actually awarded to her co-star Shirley MacLaine, who played her mother in the film, and again for Shadowlands in 1993, for which she also received her second BAFTA nomination. So she's a great actress. The role of Paula was originally given to Sigourney Weaver, then to Angelica Houston, and later to Jennifer Jason Leigh, who dropped out in order to do the film Fast Times at Ridgemont High instead. Eventually, Deborah Winger replaced Lee for the role. Rebecca De Mornay, Meg Ryan, and Gina Davis are also rumored to audition for the role of Paula as well. In spite of the strong on-screen chemistry between Gear and Winger, the actors did not get along during filming. Publicly, she called him a quote-unquote brick wall, while he admitted there was tension between them. 30 years later, Gear was complimentary towards Winger when he said that she was much more open to the camera than he was, and he appreciated the fact that she presented him with an award at the Rome Film Festival much later in life. But it's no surprise over the years, Winger has acquired a reputation for being outspoken and difficult to work with. She expressed her dislike of an officer and gentleman for which she refused to do any publicity in several of her other films and has been dismissive of some of her co-stars and directors. She was actually set to play Peggy Sue in the film Peggy Sue Got Married, but was forced to back out just before production began after injuring her back in a bicycle accident. The role went to Kathleen Turner. The injury affected Winger's ability to work for several months. She was also cast in the league of their own, but dropped out and was replaced by Gina Davis. It was later reported that Winger dropped out of the film because she refused to work with Madonna, whom Winger did not consider a quote-unquote serious actress. Other starring roles during this period included Legal Eagles, Maiden Heaven, Everybody Wins, Leap of Faith, Black Widow, Betrayed, and A Dangerous Woman. So she stayed working. But yeah, I remember the stories of her not being being difficult to work with uh, on film. But it doesn't show, once again, shows professional actors that you don't see that on the screen, which is good. If I could replace her, I would. I would love to see Sigourney Weaver um, in that in their role. Jennifer Jason Lee, I mean, she got would have had to be like yeah. nineteen or yeah, something. Yeah, that would have I mean, been, been a little big weird. age gap. Uh, Angelica Houston is is always hard to me because she, yeah. she's always the mom from the Adams family. Every time I ever think of her, anything, yeah. she's, that's <laughs> what she is. So it's hard for me to picture her. Right, but um, I mean, that's a that's a uh, pretty uh, Sigourney Weaver would be the right age range for that. Yeah. and yeah. I I never cared for Deborah Winger's performance in in this mm-hmm. movie really. Yeah. And and when she says Richard Gere is, you know, you know, the criticism was with that, like you said, he wasn't giving her anything to work with, and that he was, you know, kind of a cold performance. But that was that's his role. character. Yeah, that was his character. Yeah. Right. So um, and I don't I think her performance is pretty cold and emotionless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, if I if I have a criticism with the movie is I don't I don't understand how they were so serious so quick. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, there's not much of an establishment of the relationship that I can see. I mean, it just seems very, you know, we kind of knew what they were. You knew what the girls were intended to do at the beginning. So they're not, they're already not painted in a very good light. We kind of know where he is that I see it more in the second half of the movie than I did at the beginning. And it made it a little harder for me to kind of root for them early on in the movie. Yeah. They really don't have, cause like you see them together and they're talking and then you see them the next morning. Right. Like, so you, so you, you miss the, whatever in-depth 
conversation or connection right. they right. seem to be had that they just didn't have the connection. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're, you're, that's a good point. But I agree with you. I think Sigourney Weaver would have been a good, would have been a good choice. I think Rebecca Dormain, I guess, you know, we just did. Rebecca Dormain runaway, would, would have been. Yeah. Runaway, runaway train on my last episode and seeing her portrayal on that, she would have been really good in this. I think uh, Meg Ryan, maybe, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Take me to bed or lose me forever. <laughs> yeah. It's just all I could hear her yelling at Richard Gere in this movie. Right. Top Gun, obviously. But, yeah. Uh, I agree. Rebecca DeMornay, I think, would, would have been fabulous as well. Yeah. The next actor we have is David Keith as Sid Worley. And I'll tell you what, I was really impressed with him in this movie. Like, I don't, you know, I, that, I forgot that he was in this, but I thought he was phenomenal in this movie. You you see you seen him in other things, and then when you see him in this, mm-hmm. you realize what a what a good actor he <laughs> is, or, or or could be. Right. In other things you see him, and he he's not giving that same level of performance. But yeah, you're, absolutely, he's fantastic in this. Yeah. So this was his breakthrough role, and he was actually nominated for a Golden Globe Award, which was well earned. The positive reception for this role led to leading parts in the films The Lords of Discipline in '83, Firestarter in '84, and White of the Eye in '87. He's had supporting roles and features, including Major League Two in 94, The Indian in the Cupboard in 95, U571 in 2000, Men of Honor in 2000, and Daredevil in 2003. So he has worked for a long time. He's kind of been one of those kind of hit or miss kind of actors, for sure. We talk about the relationship between Mayo and Paula. Mayo and Paula. Yeah. yeah. But I think his relate his friendship with Sid also was a big part of him kind of learning to care for other people too. I mean, I mean, that was that friendship um, was kind of, you know, in those kind of situations, you, you know, you go through that kind of a life altering experience of training, like say you, the best relationships are born in the trenches when people go through things together, those strong bonds are made. So I thought the right. movie, did a good, I thought the movie did a good job of showing the development of their friendship as well uh, in the movie too. So. Because there's four of them in that room. Yeah. Um, but that's, it's the two of them, the family mm-hmm. type relationship. Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, when he catches uh gear, when he finds out that he's getting the uh, shine boots and the belt buckles from somebody else and basically blackmails him uh, to help him with the, uh, you know, get better at training. And but, so, but that would just draw the respect. Exactly. Of the yeah. Gear character. Cause he, yeah. he, he's, He's conning and getting by. Now you're conning and getting by on him. So that that, that would just add to it. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good point then. Yeah. And then, of course, Robert Loja as his dad, Byron Mayo, um, which I didn't realize he was in this movie either until I, you know, when he first showed up, I was like, you know, that voice is, in, in, you know, instantly distinguishable. So um yeah. In a career spanning over 60 years, Loja performed in many films, including The Greatest Story Ever Told in 65. He was in three of the Pink Panther movies. He was in Scarface in 82, Pritzi's Honor in 85, Over the Top in 87, Necessary Roughness in 91, and of course, Independence Day in 1996. That's what I know him best from. When I think <laughs> of him, I think of the role in Independence Day. Yeah, yeah, the general. Uh, in the original script, Mayo's dad visited visited Mayo during training and had a much bigger role. Uh, at the graduation ceremony, when Zach says he's going to get his first salute, he was actually referring to his father. A scene was shot at the graduation where Zach's father salutes him. This goes back to a point in the beginning when Zach's dad said he'd never salute him. Robert Lozier protested that being Robert Lozier protested that being cut out of the movie but the footage is considered lost, which I thought was kind of a shame because I thought it would have been a good, good scene. That's to have fantastic. I, yeah. I did not know that was missing. That would have been, wow, yeah. how does that get cut? Right. Right. And I think that would have been good to see him. You know, he, he's such a pivotal part at that, like I said, those first like five or 10 minutes of the movie, but then you never see him again for the rest of the movie. I would have thought that would have been a good way to bring him back into the story. And, and provides a little bit of redemption. Yeah. Character. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Yeah. You never salute me and then showing up, uh, showing up and, and saluting him. So, yeah. Man. <laughs> Sometimes what's get, what gets left on the, uh, on the floor. Yeah. Uh, um, is, is surprising. Well, as you and I discussed recently with the length of movies that came out, you know, just the last <laughs> two months of three hour running times and two and a half hour running times, oh God, this one was right at, 
this one was right at two hours and seven minutes, I think. So it, yeah. it had to get cut, you know, and there's not a whole lot that I would say was unnecessary. Like, I think, I think it's a pretty well paced and well, well-made movie. As yeah, no, I agree. It, yeah. It's definitely well, but like you said, it's, it's the two hour range. Yeah. And that's what, but, that's what movies used to be between mm-hmm. one fifty and, yeah. and, and two ten. That was all your movies. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now these three hour behemoths are just breaking me down. <laughs> All right, so then we got Lisa Albacher. I would I recognize that name when it showed up in the credits um, as Cadet Casey Seeger. She started acting as a child, appearing in such shows as My Three Sons and Gunsmoke. She later made a transition to adult roles in such shows as The Amazing Spider-Man. She's best known for her two roles in the 80s. This one, Officer and Gentleman, and Beverly Hills Cop. She was Jenny Summers, the childhood friend of Eddie Murphy's character in Beverly Hills Cop, which is why I recognize the name. Wow. You didn't get the connection. I did, did not you? realize that. No. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. The funny thing, she was actually an amateur bodybuilder. So she said the hardest part of her role in an officer and gentleman was pretending to be out of shape. <laughs> and she couldn't get over the wall. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and also a scene of her struggling to do a pull-up. Remember yeah. Remember when she stays back on leave? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's oh, a bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah. She's cranking out pull-ups. With no, with no and she was doing, and she was doing the push-ups with them at the beginning. And oh, yeah. uh, she was she was struggling, so yeah. She's then, probably doing better than them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then we got, of course, Louis Gossett Jr. as Gunnery Sergeant Emil Foley, USMC. He is one of the most respected and beloved actors on stage, screen, and television. He's also an accomplished writer, producer, and director. He was the first African-American to win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for an Officer and Gentleman. Among his other awards are Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actor, as his portrayal of Fiddler in the groundbreaking ABC series Roots. He got a Golden Globe for Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for the Josephine Baker Story, and a Golden Globe as well for An Officer and a Gentleman. His film debut was in the 1961 classic film A Raisin in the Sun with Sidney Poitier. Other film credits include The Deep, Blue Chips, Daddy's Little Girls, Firewalker, Jaws 3D, (laughs) Enemy Mine, and Iron Eagle 1 through 4. Uh, the win for him, you know, for best supporting actor, uh, I believe it was the third for a black actor or actress in the, mm-hmm. in the category. But it was also notable because it was a position of power right. for a black actor of being in right. charge of of white actors instead mm-hmm. of um, um, you know some kind of maid or subservient or right. or slave right. slave role. right exactly. But, but but here's here's a role, and I know I know that he had noted that he was very proud of that mm-hmm. fact. Yes, that it was just that he's in charge of, mm-hmm. of this thing and he, and he happened to be black. And so winning the uh, best supporting actor for that, um, I know he, he, he mentioned that in his, in his statement and mm-hmm. it was notable um, definitely at the time in, in the early eighties. Yeah. He said that he actually, after he was proud of winning and he was proud of the movie, but he was very afraid is not a good word. He was concerned about racist you know, retaliation. He said, you know, to see him yeah. whip Kunta Kinte and Roots didn't really upset anybody, but to see him basically kick Richard Gere's butt in that fight scene at the beginning, I mean, towards the end, but he was like, what's his butt that he kicks? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so he's like, you know, he, he, uh, he said he doesn't go to a lot of bars because there's always some <laughs> Yahoo that's going to say all that Hollywood stuff is fake. I'm going to show you how, you know, a real man fights or whatever. And, uh, wise decision on his part probably right. there's a lot of idiots out there in the world exactly exactly don't be one of those idiots <laughs> all right so uh casting the role of gunnery sergeant was very difficult first none of the a-list actors approached for the part including jack nicholson were interested second mandy patinkin gave an audition that the producers loved but the director nixed their plans to cast patinkin because he felt the actor was quote-unquote too ethnic to play a drill sergeant he was going to regret that later on. You'll see here in a second. <laughs> uh, R. Lee Ermey was also considered for Gunnery Sergeant Emil Foley due to his time of being an actual drill sergeant. I'm sorry, actual drill instructor for the United States Marine Corps in the 1960s. Of course, he's most famous for his role as the drill sergeant in uh, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal. Yeah, if yeah, you don't recognize that name. So the producers actually did research in Pensacola, Florida, and learned that all of the top drill instructors there were African-Americans. So Taylor Hackford cast Louis Gossett Jr. and had Ermi coach him for the role as the film's technical advisor. 
Hackford kept Gossett Jr. in separate living quarters from the other actors during production so Gossett could intimidate them more during his scenes as drill instructor. In addition to R. Lee Ermey, Gossett was advised by Gunnery Sergeant Buck Welsher, an actual drill sergeant at Aviation Officer Candidate School in Pensacola. He can actually be seen leading the senior class after the run. You know, I, one of the best things about about the movie, and, I, and again, I remember this as a kid, because at the beginning when when Louis Gossett Jr. is giving them such a hard time on the mm-hmm. first day meeting them and he's berating them and belittling yeah. them, and you're like, and, and and you're like, what's all that about? And then you see them go through the entire process, and then that new class comes in at the end, and yeah. you see him doing yeah. it all over again. And you're like, that's just the job. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to do to break these people down, right? And and get them get them uh, through this. Uh, I, I love that the movie because think about how easy it is to not show that little clip at the end yeah, again. Exactly. Doing that. Exactly. And you miss that entire component of mm-hmm. it's not personal to that gunnery sergeant. This is his <laughs> job and what he's doing. Right. He does it to everybody. Yep. It's funny because my dad was actually a drill sergeant for a small part of his military career. Somebody did like a, it's, I call it a painting, but it was um, like different aspects of military life. And they used my dad as a drill sergeant in one of the, uh, one of the spots. So he has it hanging up in his, in his office. So um, oh, I always, cool. I always think about this and I think about Full Metal Jacket because <laughs> when Full Metal Jacket came out on VHS, I remember we didn't own it, but I think we rented it. And my dad took a little tape and I'll probably talk about this when we ever do Full Metal Jacket. But my dad took a little tape recorder and he would record parts of the drill sergeant, like yelling and debrating, <laughs> whatever. And in his office, he said, if the office got too quiet during the day, he would just pit play and let it play through the office to kind of get people like liven up the office or whatever. So I remember being in his office sometimes and him, him doing that. So it was his kind of, you know, he's kind of some of his glory days. And I remember being able to like verbally beat people into submission. <laughs> that, that, that is, that is classic. Shout out to Mr. Williams. Yeah. For, yeah. Uh, for, for doing that. All right. So last person in the cast, I'll mention just briefly. And of course I forgot, I didn't realize he was in this movie all either, but, Young David Caruso as Topper Daniels, who was the first to D.O.R. of the group. Um, Of course, after almost drowning in the exercise, being choked (laughs) by uh, by the gunnery sergeant, he wasn't going to last very long. So, yeah, you should have known he had breathing problems when he got choked by the uh, gunnery sergeant there before he went into the to the water tank. Yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, just, yeah, uh, he so, was on our own. yeah, just a small role, but it's funny to think about he was in, he had a small role in first blood, which he did, uh, last year. And then he popped up in this one. So just wanted to throw his name out there. So, but a great cast. I think overall, I think it overall was good. I think we both agreed. Deborah Winger may not have been the best female lead, but she still did. All right. I mean, she garnered some nominations, so she wasn't terrible, just not our, right. our favorite. Not not our cup of tea, but yeah, the, the movie is 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 really just perfectly cast, including the supporting, you know, the supporting characters, just yeah. um, out, outstanding. And, and when it all comes together like that, just a beautiful thing to watch. And now these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. 
So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Alright, well let's talk about iconic scenes, favorite scenes. I guess we both know the most iconic scene is definitely the ending. I mean, that's what most people think of when they think of this movie any other scene jump out at you well you referenced the one earlier I yeah. myself, <laughs> right um when uh the gunnery sergeant is attempting to make mayo dor trying to make him quit um and then he he says i won't quit and uh, to give the uh, you know point of reference to those listening who may not know and it's it's it, he finally has to admit and break down and start crying and mm-hmm. say, I can't quit because this is all I have. This mm-hmm. is my only shot. There's nothing else I can do. But the other, um, for me, always, I, I won't say it makes me cry, but uh, probably get a little wet around the eyes is when Mayo, who is all about himself and the movie shows him mm-hmm. that way from the very beginning. And he's out to set the course record, you yeah. know, his name and the history yeah. books there. And instead he goes back to help, uh, what what's her name in the movie again? Casey Casey Seeger. Seeger goes back to help Seeger, who cannot get over the wall. This mm-hmm. is, they said you only got three tries to get over the wall. This is gonna be right. the third try. She doesn't get over, and she's out. Right. And he right. gives up the record to go back and walk her through the steps to get her over the wall, and then finish the course together. Mm-hmm. And and you see the full circle of I care about someone else more than I, I care about me. Mm-hmm. I care about helping someone. And that scene is always a really touching moment yeah. for me. What about you? Yeah, well, I just want to mention that scene as well because I knew where you, where you were going when you, when you started into it. But what I love about that scene too is that the whole the class rallies behind him, rallying behind her, which once again shows he was a leader. You know that that that's who what they were trying to develop. And you know, I think the gunnery sergeant saw he could be a leader because he knew that you know, people looked up to him and wanted, you know, when he set, when he was already was setting or getting close to setting that record that was helping the class, you know, try to achieve better. So, um, so I love that scene of them all cheering them both on and being just as excited as she was that she made it over the wall. So, um, that was great. The other, before I forget no, the, go ahead. The, the very end, the, um, which I looked it up because they never explained it. So when they're going to get that suit, get the, the pin from the gunnery sergeant who's mm-hmm. uh, giving them the new title. And then they give them, is it a silver, silver dollar? dollar. Yep. Mm-hmm. And when he, you see the emotional connection that they have now formed yeah. between Mayo and again, where he, the gunnery sergeant is tearing up mm-hmm. as Mayo tells him, I will never forget you. Right. Um, and, and you know, while he's proud of all of these different classes and things, but you know that that's different. He saw yeah. this man change who he is yeah. and that there's real emotion there. You know, that's also a very, a very, I think, important scene in that movie. Mm-hmm. I read this. It's a tradition for the drill instructor to place the silver dollar of his memorable students in his right pocket. You can see that Mayo's dollar is placed in Foley's right pocket rather than the left pocket, as it is for some of the other cadets that came up to him beforehand. So, I thought that was, that was, yeah, I I saw that about the silver dollar, which I thought was, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing during that scene, like what this obviously has some significance, but didn't really know what it was until I looked it up. So that was right. They they don't explain what's, what's happening. They just all line up to see him. I mean, I think you, you covered most of the scenes that I thought were were really good. Of course, not favorite scenes, but just powerful scenes. I think it, the interesting thing about this movie is like, and well, like, you know, in most movies, I guess like that, there's so much to be set up in the first half. But the second half of the movie, it's compiled with multiple situations that they have to overcome. So, of course, with the with the with the girls and the relationship of whether he's going to stay or not. And and then with um, with Sid 
and his relationship with the girl and, you know, her telling him she's pregnant and him trying to decide what he's going to do. And then that, that whole situation, which was intense. And then of course, them finding him in the hotel was, was, I didn't remember that in the movie at all until it came. I was like, no, he's going to catch him in time. It's not going to be that way. And then it wasn't. And so that just adds so much more uh, of the, of the drama at the end. I remember being very uneasy about that scene as a 10 year old. Watching oh, I'm that sure. Movie and yeah. This guy hangs himself in the, in the shower and, uh, uh, and, and commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I also saw Halloween when I was five in the movie theater. So <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen, yeah. seen some, seen some things, but that I remember that just a real uneasy feeling about mm-hmm. what did I just, what did I just see? I don't, I don't really yeah. understand what it was, but I will say one scene that I, that, is is one of my favorites and i think it's just because it it's uh, the line that keeps being repeated but when uh when mayo has to stay behind and has to do after he gets busted for you know all the con- you know all the contraband in his uh he had over his bed and so he's got a you know he's uh gunnery sergeant's you know one on one training in in the rain and the mud or whatever but uh my favorite thing from gunnery is don't be eyeballing me boy you eyeballing me Every time he would, Gear would look at it. We eyeballing me, boy. And I just had, that, that cracked it. me up every time he would say it. But I was every like, but it. that was that was good. But that's also that's part of the training because he's teaching him don't react. I'm gonna berate you, but don't. You've got to stay level headed and calm in this situation. Mm-hmm. Stay focused on what you're doing. And so every time yeah. I said, you you eyeballing me, and so I just I just thought that was hilarious. But it but it's necessary. But I, that was that was a scene, and even some of the songs they sang. Which I thought were pretty pretty funny, which which, I, which we would not repeat here. <laughs> no, 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 no. Which I did read that they, you know, of course, you know, you have the R-rated version and the TV version, and they said, you know, most of the TV version, they of course they cut a lot of the stuff out, but they said two scenes were specifically shot for a TV version and the film version, and one of those was that one-on-one training. So they obviously sang something very different <laughs> on the TV version. Uh, and also the suicide scene, they, they had, they altered that somewhat where it wasn't as shocking. Uh, and I think because it also didn't have him butt naked hanging as well. So for good reason, but yeah, but I just thought that was, I was I'm thinking about that as I was watching, I was like, how did they edit this for television? This song right here. All right. Any other scenes you want to talk about? Or we'll jump into trivia and maybe something else will pop up as we go. No, nope, I'm, I'm good. Let's jump. All right. So. Uh, this, of course, was part of a mini cycle of Hollywood movies made during the early 80s centered around military cadet training. Other movies included Taps in 81, Stripes in 81, Private Benjamin in 80, The Lords of Discipline in 83. In the mid to late 80s, you saw a few more like Biloxi Blues in 88, Top Gun in 86, Heartbreak Ridge in 86, and as we mentioned, Full Metal Jacket in 87. Lots of military movies in the 80s for sure. Yeah, Biloxi Blues is really good. Yeah, yeah. That's one I keep saying I need to go back and watch, but I can't. I haven't seen it on one of the streaming services uh, recently. That's one that I watched a lot as a kid. That was one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, it's Ferris um, Bueller. Yeah, Ferris Bueller yeah. in the military. Yeah, and that was actually <laughs> the Robert. that was the play he was doing. Him and Alan Ruck were doing that play on Broadway when they got cast for Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller. All right, and then uh, so this was I'm talking about Taylor Hackford, the director. This is one of three early to mid 80s movies directed by Taylor Hackford with a hit song associated with the movie. In White Nights in 1985, the songs were Say You, Say Me, written and performed by Lionel Richie, and Separate Lives, written by Stephen Bishop and performed by Phil Collins and Marilyn Martin. And Against All Odds in 84, the song was Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now, sung by Phil Collins. And An Officer and Gentleman, the song was Up Where We Belong, sung by Joe Cocker. Uh, who was the duet with? I don't have it listed. Was that? Man, I, don't, I can't remember. I did, I I did see it, but I don't remember. Yeah. I apologize. I thought it was on there. Jennifer Warrens. Jennifer Warrens. Okay. So Up Where We Belong, sung by Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warrens. All of these themes were Oscar nominated for the Best Original Song Academy Award. The ones performed by Collins did not win, but the Richie and Cocker songs did take home the gold statuette. Producer Don Simpson unsuccessfully demanded the ballad Up Where We Belong be cut from the film, saying, quote unquote, the song is no good. It isn't a hit. The song later became the number one song on the Billboard chart and won the Academy <laughs> Award. He wanted a similar song called On the Wings of Love by Jeffrey Osborne. The song was released a few months later and it peaked at number 29 on the Billboard charts. So, 
Yeah, but that's a great song. That's a great so, song too. Yeah. On yeah. the wings of love. love. Yeah. I will say this for just for a shameless plug that all three of those songs that we mentioned, besides "On the Wings of Love," are on the '80s flick flashback movie mix playlist on Apple Music. So if you want to go and listen to them, you can hear them in all their glory. Though not stated, Gunnery Sergeant Emil Foley is a Vietnam War veteran, which is shown by his medal ribbons, which included the Vietnam Service Medal with three campaign stars. Thought that was interesting. That once again wasn't really explained in the movie, but was there. I like. I thought you might like this. The "Are You Calling Me You" lecture, you e w e w e lecture that Louis Gossett Jr. gives to David Keith was used a decade earlier except for the cursing and sexual references on the series Gomer Pyle USMC. <laughs> you calling me a you? That's a female sheep. You calling right. me a sheep? <laughs> I need to find some episodes of Gomer Pyle. I remember that show so fondly as a kid. I actually watched some last year because, you know, Andy Griffith showed for me mm-hmm. the greatest show in the history of television. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Gomer Pyle holds up pretty well. So the film, in fact, progresses very quickly through the officer candidate school training, although this would be unfamiliar to most audiences unless they're familiar with how OCS operates. The training progresses through three phases, indoctrination, academic, and then leadership. The indoctrination is seen at the beginning when the candidates meet Foley, but only a few scenes later, the students are shown taking advanced aerodynamic classes, which in reality would have been weeks later in academic training. About a half an hour later in the film, after Zach has demonstrated he wants to stay in OCS, By enduring Foley's abuse, the students are wearing railroad tracks on their collars, indicating they're in the leadership stage, which occurs at the 10th or 11th week, which is less than two to three weeks from graduation. This also explains why Sid dropping out at such a late stage came as such a shock to Lynette. Such a bad decision, Sid. Yeah. But yeah, they didn't really, they never really explained that it was a 13 week training. So it does kind of seem like their hair does grow back. I mean, they're, you know, they, of course, they all have their long hair at the beginning. Then it's cut really right. short in that first. So even when they're at the, I think if they're at the dance, to me, I feel like that had to have been several weeks later because their hair had kind of grown out a little bit more. So, um, right. And, 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 and one of them says, in fact, it, it, it grew back. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. But you're right. They never explained really the timeline mm-hmm. or, um, yeah. Yeah. But also gives a little bit more, like we talked about with the blooming of the relationships that it didn't just happen in like a two or three week course that's you know 13 weeks that's uh three months basically fairly long time to build some good relationships so Absolutely. all right last little bit richard gear balked at shooting the ending of the film in which zach arrives at paula's factory wearing his naval dress whites and carries her off the factory floor gear thought the ending would not work because it was too sentimental taylor hackford agreed with gear until during a rehearsal the extras playing the workers began to cheer and cry at the same time when gear saw the scene later with the music underneath it at the right tempo, he said it gave him chills. Gear was now convinced Hackford made the right decision. Screenwriter David Hogg in his book, writing screenplays that sell echoed this opinion. He said, I don't believe those that criticized the Cinderella style ending were paying very close attention to who exactly is rescuing whom, which I thought was a cool little. Oh, that's a great term. line. Great line. Yeah, that, that is that is great, but that is such an iconic scene, and yeah. the way it's shot, every, yeah. you know, and those plants, every, everything is gray. Mm-hmm. You know, all the equipment's gray, all the walls are gray, <laughs> the floor is gray, the people are gray, <laughs> and that, and just that that flash of white, white just yeah. walking in between the grays, mm-hmm. just stopping. Even when he gets to a mother, just like, hey, where is she? Just right, right. A quick look at her, and then just keeps going. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've got a goal. There's someplace I'm going. Yeah. That woman is yeah. over there and I'm yeah. going to get and just straight to her. Mm-hmm. That is, that, that is, it is just shot. It is just a beautiful shot. Yeah. And, and, but, but, but I mean, there is a point there. Take the movie, uh, the music out of that scene and picture it. <laughs> it doesn't really different. play. Yeah. It doesn't play. <laughs> but with the music, yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody's like the friend. Go Paula. Right. Yeah, right. Paula. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to the mother. I think what got me in the ending scene was watching the mom's reaction because it goes, takes it back to that scene with the mom telling you stopping her from going after Mayo looking for him on the base. She's like, don't do it. You're going to regret it. You know, you're going to try to trap him. And then is you know, you trapping him is not going to be the same as him wanting him really wanting you. 
So for him to cut show up there, it was like telling the mom, look, this is, he's a real, he's a real man. He isn't just, you know, this isn't just out of guilt or some game that they were playing. It was, it, it, it made it a little bit more real, which I thought was really good. So. And the mom, as soon as I saw the mom, I realized I had never seen her in anything else. She's from Seinfeld. She's George Costanza's almost mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. That uh, when his, the fiance dies, but then he's still involved with the mother. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, from the foundation. Yeah. And she, yeah. she drinks a lot of alcohol and stuff. As soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, wow. Okay, that's the mom and opportunity gentleman. Very good. Very good. All right. Any other scenes you want to talk about or anything else? I think we covered it pretty well. No other scenes, man. Sometimes we, you watch one of these movies that we kind of grew up with and, and, and you're like, eh, you know, it doesn't hold up. Man, it's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great movie. Anyone out there that maybe listen has not seen this or have not really watched it in its entirety in a mm-hmm. while, watch the actual unedited version. You got to get through all the, the profanity and, and some, some inappropriateness uh, of, uh, of, of, especially with modern day, but man, mm-hmm. such a great movie. Yeah. Great movie. All right. Let's talk about box office and critical reception. So an officer and a gentleman had a limited release on July 30th, 1982, where it finished third at the box office behind the best little whorehouse in Texas at number two. <laughs> With Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. And E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which was at number one for its second week. So it's tough to tough to open against E.T. in its second week. It was still an enormous box office success and went on to become the third highest grossing film of 1982 after E.T. the Extraterrestrial and Tootsie with Dustin Hoffman. So so it didn't do bad. It came in number three. Yeah, it's not bad at all. I just I had to laugh on the Dolly Parton Burt Reynolds. I cannot hear the title of that movie and not Texas has a whorehouse in it. Lord have mercy, <laughs> oh my soul. That's the little theme song to place throughout the entire movie. But, I have uh, I have never seen that movie. Um, yeah. I watched it a few years ago. Had not watched it. It, it does not hold up well. It, 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 is, <laughs> it, is, it is the... Uh, not agree when you got Burt Reynolds starring in a musical it's probably not uh, right you know. right I do remember though when it came on HBO as a kid my parents watched it like they they when the living white and me and my sister were not allowed to come and interrupt them while it was on because they were going to watch it and so but they were big Dolly Parton fans and Burt Reynolds fans so but it was on the funny thing is it was on TV like on Saturday but it was on IFC or one of those but it, I missed like the first the 30 same. I missed like the first 30 minutes, so I didn't, I didn't watch it. So um, it, it, yeah, it, that's gotta be seen as an edited version too. The only, the only, I would say the only thing worthwhile about watching that is it's cause it's a Dom DeLuise and you know, the Dom yeah. DeLuise oh, yeah. Reynolds pairings are, oh, yeah. there's always some fun there. Pure gold. You tell those guys are having a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes has it at 78% on the tomato meter and 81% audience score. IMDB has it at seven out of 10 with viewers and a 75 on Metacritic, which is extremely high for Metacritic for it to be that high. It's also rare for all four of those to basically be the same. Yeah. They're pretty close. I mean, they're, they're all right. Usually one is really, really high or or really, really low, Mm -hmm. man. That's a balanced, that's a balanced, uh, but it's also 40 years old. So you got more time to get balanced (laughs) reviews, I guess. Right. Right. So I, yeah, I would put this in the eighties range for me, you know, cause they, so but like, it's, yeah. it's not the greatest movie. I mean, it, but it's definitely rewatchable. It's one that I'll definitely watch again, have a lot of respect for, um, and enjoyed watching. So yeah, probably around an 85 for me, um, you know, if we're putting a percentage on, on something, yeah. but, uh, I agree. Definitely one worth watching, especially if it has not been watched in a while. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Ron, for joining. We're going to bring this one to a close, but uh, be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast if you haven't already. Um, Support the show through buymeacoffee.com. You can buy a t-shirt or a sweatshirt from our website. Of course, Ron has uh, one of our t-shirts. I have mine. I sure do. Wear it proudly. (laughs) So support the show how you can. We appreciate all the support you can get. If you enjoyed the episode, share it with someone who loves 80s flicks. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and all that fun, enjoyable stuff. But always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for joining me for this episode, and we got more fun stuff. My pleasure. I love you, brother. I do appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. Peace.
What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half Of The Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. Hey, everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager and maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life for You. And here at Retro Life for You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Go.